0: We are supported by, is brought to you by Chevrolet. Find new roads.
1: One of your friends is here today. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know if I can call her my friend. We're just sort of like DM friends, but I do know her wife. Yes. And the two of them are beacons of light for me. I love how they communicate, I love how open they are. Today we have Abby Wombach. Dude, guys, she's an Olympian. Yeah. No I'm very,
0: big D. No
1: big D. I'm very interested in Olympians. Well, cuz they're special a dish. I know. You don't get an Olympian every time you walk out of the hospital with a baby. That's
0: right, limited a dish. They're
1: very limited a dish. It also takes So much dedication, which we Mm -hmm. talked about a lot. And Abby is an American retired soccer player. She's also a coach, two-time Olympic gold medalist, a FIFA Women's World Cup champion, and a member of the No Big Deal National Soccer Hall of Fame. Mm. She's a six-time winner of the U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year Award. It's incredible.
0: What's so fun about the national female soccer team, I'm not that into soccer or anything, but— When you watch them, you really see everyone collectively doing their part. Yes. There's something amazing about watching that very specific team of women. Just like bosses, but letting people have their moment like oh it's just
1: great what's weird is in every other sport you can hold on to the ball yeah like in baseball you got your catcher's mitt you can hold it sure. like in basketball you can just hold it with your hands for like a minute if you're dribbling it okay. um from what I understand there's like all these different sports where you can hang on to something where you get it and you feel great but literally in soccer the goal is to get it and find the next move and so you have to be assessing your teammates at all times. And what I loved is how Abby described that of like knowing your strengths, but also knowing you don't have to be good at everything. Find the strengths in the people around you and that's your team, that's your family. That was the back tattoo. Sorry to blow it now, but that was this week's back tattoo. Yeah, you got to know what your teammates are good at. Yeah, and not feel like you have to do all the things. Yeah, you're not alone out there. Yeah, And that's one of the beautiful things about soccer. And she talks about soccer being this like global unifier of Mm. love. And she's also just like very open and honest. And, you know, Glennon, her wife is a writer and she wrote a book about reuniting with her husband and then like a couple weeks later met Abby and was just like, I think I have to make a different choice and then wrote a book, Untamed, about meeting Abby. And it's just a crazy and beautiful love story. And they're so honest and open and I love how much they've taught me. Awesome! We got to share it with our audience. Yeah, got to
0: peek into her insight, and here it is. We are supported by Abby Wambach. Hey, yeah.
2: We're gonna- Hello. How are you? I feel like I know you all. It's so weird that we've never actually met in person.
0: I know. I kind of feel like that too when I was
1: researching and watching videos. I was like, I
0: feel like I already know
1: her. It is strange though, right? Because you and Glennon do the same thing that Dax and I do and that Monty does like when we do our friendship stuff. You just sort of put it all out there and it does create... This I don't want to say false, but it's definitely a sense of intimacy. So when you meet people— But I couldn't agree more. I fully feel like I've been in that bed with you guys when you've been giggling (laughs) about something or like the toothpaste, anything. One time Kristen was like, I wish I could be part of their marriage. Like you you really were (laughs) like— I did. You two have this sense of joy and love and ping pong about learning experiences and communication that is just— One of the purest forms of love (laughs) anyone could have with another human being. It is such a joy to watch because that's one thing Dax and I made a commitment about, like probably seven or eight years ago. We were like, maybe if we just show everything, people might learn something, feel something. And isn't that the goal? Like, rather than being like, oh, my personal life is none of your business. So it was a very deliberate choice to say, yeah, we fight just like everyone else. Did you and Glennon find that that was the same?
2: Yeah, actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of a woman named Martha Beck, but she's kind of a spiritual life coach. And early days when Glenn and I first got together, we were trying to sort it out. At the time, I was a little bit more public than Glennon was. And over time, it's kind of flip-flop, which is super cool. But this woman, she just said to us, look, you don't have to do anything except just love each other. And the way that Glennon is with her community, I knew coming into my marriage with her that that's what I was getting. Our love is special for sure, but the biggest form of activism we can do, and it's like kind of like what Ellen did 15 to 20 years ago for her talk show, is just to be a gay person in the public world.
0: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. to be
2: a married, yeah, and to be a married gay person in the public world, like Team Glennon, Team Abby. It's hilarious that that's even a thing, but, like, there's so many things that are false about the way that we think about gayness in this culture in the world. I was actually just asking Chase because he's, like, the real intellectual in our family. No offense, Glennon, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, why has it been such a bad thing to be gay through all of humanity? And I think that it's, like, an interesting question. Like, why? It's so bizarre. Because there have been gay people from the beginning of time. Oh, absolutely.
0: And trans and non-binary, that's
1: been going on since day one. I'm always a big fan of citing evolution. And when we started, humans' brains couldn't get abstract concepts. And it's so important for your brain to file it in a blink decision and I think that anytime you went outside the box a long time ago, it felt scary. And so let's stay inside the box. It feels safer. And then it just squashed the spirits of millions and millions and billions of people throughout history that weren't able to be who they were because of completely arbitrary rules.
2: Incredibly sad
0: societal boxes. It's not inherent boxes. It's ones that we created mm-hmm. to feel safe. or to Social feel- contracts,
2: for sure. Exactly. For sure. To yeah. feel like
0: in the in-group. And, you know, I think there's a kind of a scary thing that I hope we're breaking, but that in order to be in the in group, there has to be an out group. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so I think that's how some of this started to form. It's like, well, I need to be normal. So that makes that person
1: abnormal. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's the thing we just like, you know, have to break. We are broken inside with this archaic software that tells Mm -hmm. us to find an out group and an in group and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't matter anymore. It's like we were reading this book with the girls last night, The History of Underwear and it was fully like King Tut believed (laughs) in reincarnation so he was buried with 145 pairs of panties. So like, we're over that. We don't need to put panties at 100% in everybody's graves. Also like, uh, people didn't wash their underwear. They did not, they thought it was like a sign of disrespect and so people just went years and years with the same (laughs) underwear. That's the thing. That's broken, right? And we can now admit, I mean, it's a silly example, but we're like, we definitely wash our panties now. It's like way better for everybody. We don't stink. But there are all these higher concepts, like letting someone love. How the hell does that affect you? And Abby, I want you to talk a little bit about like your road with this, because I come from a community that loves church. I went to Catholic school I love that community. But I will tell you, the minute the rules started getting specific about who you could love, I was like, fuck, this feels wrong. Mm -hmm, (laughs) This just mm -hmm. doesn't feel right.
2: There was a time in which the Catholic Church joined up with politicians. And I think probably even beyond just the Catholic Church, but I think predominantly it's the Catholic Church behind this. And they decided, okay, what are two ways we could mobilize? A group of people to get behind certain policies and gayness and abortion were their Mm -hmm. top two things that Christian leaders were talking with government politicians (laughs) around how can we get and keep getting voted into office? What happened was basically they were just like, look, we're going to take these two huge issues. Obviously, we all know about these issues now and we're going to make sure that the world knows about them and we're going to make sure that we keep getting voted into office, right? So at the end of the day, for me, I have an understanding of gayness and I believe that the church is inherently good. I deeply believe that people who go to church are good. I believe that the idea and the concepts around it are inherently good. Like I think that What church is trying to get across is goodness, right, for the most part. But I do think that when you mix church and money, things just get bad. (laughs) And I grew up like you, Kristen, in the Catholic Church. And nobody ever said to me, hey, look, you can't be gay. Otherwise, you're going to go to hell. I just knew it, like inside of my bones. That's even worse. Yeah. That's worse. And it's because they're like insidious Gay jokes or insidious Mm -hmm. comments or seeing somebody else be othered, whether it be inside my family unit at my school or whatever it might be. So I just knew from an early age that I had a choice to be made and I had to kind of save myself. So I became a militant atheist. Mm -hmm. when there is inclusion that is also exclusion so like Mm -hmm. when you're in one group you're out of another and when you're out of one group you're in another so I was Mm -hmm. like all right well that means then I am for sure an atheist like and I'm going to be the best atheist there is and so when Glennon and I actually first met I was still in this world and she just said one thing to me once and it it still pisses me off she goes you know honey (laughs) you're fighting really hard against something that you don't believe in. And I was like, hmm, why am I fighting so hard? Mm. Because I think like deep down, I have a sense that there's something that I don't understand that is a little bit magic about this world that I will never understand. And I think my pride was just getting the better of me because I just wanted to be a part of the correct group. You know, I wanted to be a part of the group that knew the truth.
0: You're acting in
1: opposition to the box you were put in. You are not mutually exclusive to your own ideas. Like you can be a couple different things and you don't have to seek the answer all the time. Like I've recently come to terms with that. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to know because it was when my kids asked me like, what happens when we die? And I was like, real talk, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. You might become a flower. You might fly up in the sky. You might just lay there in the ground. You might become a bug. I mean, I I don't know. But the cool thing about not knowing is we can sort of wonder together. And you just believe something that comforts you. You know, think of a story in your head that comforts you as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But so many people are allergic to not knowing. And I'm just kind of cool with not knowing. But it's
0: control. It's control. The reason we're allergic to not knowing is because we need to know. (laughs) Because if we don't know, then the world is chaos. Like, It's very human to seek answers for that reason. But what you said about just no one told you being gay was bad. You just Mm. knew it in your bones. You knew it because society was telling you. That's similar to being a woman. There are things Mm. you know that we can't do or we shouldn't do. But no one's saying it explicitly,
1: but mm-hmm. you know because of the cues a society is giving. And what's funny is that we are the ones that pick up on the cues, you know? Like, the dog can only hear the whistle at the high pitch. Men are like, well, but no one ever told you to stay small. But it's like, <laughs> but you, are you joking me? Yeah. Every single social <laughs> cue I've ever gotten in my life was stay small. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. And that's like and not to throw them under the bus, of course, but Dax, at one point when we first started the podcast, he would say stuff like, I think it's actually like women, they're in charge of the magazine. So they're the ones telling you to be small. And I'm like, but what are they being told right. from who? Yes. Like you have to climb the ladder.
2: Yes. And it's a long ladder because listen, I have grown so much just by being married to Glennon Doyle. It feels like her brain and heart is like five years down the road from the rest of us. So I'm always playing catch up. Like, I feel like I am the biggest racist and the biggest misogynist <laughs> and the biggest homophobic person in the world. Just sitting she's, next to her. Yeah. She's like always correcting me. She's like, I don't know about that. And, you know, I grew up in a male dominated sports world. Where signing a contract is saying, yes, I'm taking this less than contract, is accepting and agreeing with my own demise on some level. I just think it's really important to know that we are all on a journey. If you don't or haven't examined your own internalized barometer of what race is to you and where it falls in the importance line and where sexism falls and and where you and what you're responsible for. Like we all have to go into our own selves and evaluate where we're at. I have more patience for people because I am that person. Mm -hmm. I see Glennon being so much more further ahead of me and having done so much more personal work, but I see her do the work and I see the payoff. So it gives me that Confidence to want to do more personal work to become less sexist. Like I still have it in me because of the Catholic Church. Those are really hard talons to like pull out yes. over the years with my my own thoughts on homosexuality. I mean, we were at the bank recently, and Glenn and I were signing paperwork, and of course, they hand us papers, and it says "husband and wife, 2021." Yeah, <laughs> and Glennon doesn't have any kind of chill in her like she will never <laughs> let something just like go she just doesn't have that in her dna so she just like pushes the paper back to the middle of the table and she's like these are incorrect yeah and making everybody at that table uncomfortable including me the right. wife yeah right? well it was not a woke bank right exactly
0: <laughs> as opposed to all the woke banks yeah that's right <laughs> that's right, Monica.
2: They are now, though. But, like, we got back into the car, and I and I just said to her, I said, you know, it's so interesting. People probably out in the world would think that I would be one of the people that would speak up, but I have been so conditioned as a gay person, and, and having been a gay person longer than Glennon, I have been so conditioned to just, like, take those kind of insidious moments and just, like, swallow them. Yeah. Whereas Glennon grew up with straight privilege right and so she just like boom no this is not happening here you know and I think for me I think that some of us gay folks need to like unlearn some of the things that we've been swallowing and like take on some of the straight privilege so that we can actually make and say the thing when we need to say the thing in your defense
0: the reason that you are more willing to like let it go is because it's self-protective. You've learned over time, as you said, you've been gay for much longer. So you learned over time, if you fight every single battle, You'll get injured at least once or twice, and so sometimes your brain is like, you know, always doing this dance. And I I feel that as a minority, I've I've had to do the same thing. Like, which battles do I fight when this Mm -hmm. person says, "Where are you from?" Do I do the thing? Do I say, "What do you mean? Where are my parents from?" Or do I just (laughs) give them the answer they I know they're (laughs) looking for? You know, it's always this battle in your head, and it's unfair that you have to be the one to sort of fight it, and it's. Great that Glennon is willing to always be the person that's like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong because we need people like that because sometimes you you just kind of don't have the fight in you in that moment.
2: That's right. I a woman that I know, Dr. Yaba Blay. She's an incredible activist and a black woman who has taught me so much about race and my own stuff inside of that. And she says, "We laugh so we don't cry." And I think that that is so true for so many minorities, any kind of marginalized person in this world. Come on, if this is our experience and history has told us that change happens, but it's slow, might as well like enjoy the time that we're here and try not to take everything so personally, I guess. But it is. I mean, it is offensive. All of it is offensive. It's (laughs) like, you're right, though, Monica, like what battles should I fight?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting because as a gay person, as a minority, as a woman, we're a part of the water too. So it's not like we're necessarily like standing outside the river, like we're in it too. And we're susceptible to getting those same ideas placed inside our brains. So, you know, we can't just keep pointing the finger out. It's also within us to change as well. That's right.
1: Mm, Guys, I love this conversation. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you that right now.
0: OK, Abby, you're an insane superstar. Everyone already knows that. Yeah, so it's probably, you're an icon. Right? Yes, you're an icon. <laughs> Sports fiend. I mean, it's unbelievable. And what I love so much is when you are described, it's always with the caveat, regardless of gender, you have the highest scoring. Second yes. highest scoring.
2: Second. Second. Yeah. Now. So I was the world record holder for most goals scored in international soccer. And then Two years ago, a woman from Canada, her name is Christine Sinclair, she overtook my record, which is great because records are meant to be broken. And although my kids did say like, well, what am I going to say now? Like <laughs> my mom is the number two world record holder. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, that yeah is that's
1: what, what gonna you're going to say. And it's <laughs> yeah, still going to be right. wildly impressive.
2: <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool. I had a really good career. I loved what I did. But there are some things about my career that I mean, Kristen and Monica, I'm sure you both know, like when you do something very well, and it's just strange to be out of the billions of people are on planet Earth to be like, like, they literally handed me a award that you are the number one player. And I'm like, come on, like, this is this is not who chose this, you know, yeah. like, Out of all of the people, they gave me the one award. And it's a weird thing. So I feel grateful of the time that I played. I loved every second of it. And also, I have really loved my retirement because I am a person and Mm -hmm. I've been able to enter back into humanity. I think that as a pro athlete, there's a sense that I had to be a kind of a person Mm. that lived into the best in the world. So I was very good at not quitting. Right. I was very good at like being fit. I was very good at scoring goals. I was very good at playing hard. And it very much contributed to so much of the problems of my life because of that attitude and mentality. So I was very good at drinking. Right. I was very good at partying with my friends. And that life just doesn't serve someone for long periods of time. Right. For forever. So since I've gotten my retirement, I've gotten sober. I'm five years sober. I literally met Glennon a month after my sobriety birthday, my number one day of without drinking. And everything in my life has changed because of that. Everything positive. And playing was good, but retirement's better. Where do you keep your gold medals?
1: Do you hang them on the wall of the bathroom? Or are they like in a safe? Or like, do you wear them around <laughs> the house? Like, what's
2: the deal? Where do they get placed? Well, back to King Tut and the panties. <laughs> in my underwear drawer yes, Actually, yes yes I mean where else can you put it like exactly. people will steal it and why would you put it in a safety deposit box to never be seen again mm-hmm. so anytime like a little kid comes over mm-hmm. who might have any interest in sports my kids are like do you want to see my mom's gold medal I'm like oh, yes Bring that's awesome so yeah cute yeah it's sweet
1: Support comes from Chevrolet. Look, if you're a busy mom like me, you live in your car some days. Even getting one kid to all their activities, it seems like herding cats. But Chevy gets it. They have a whole family of SUVs perfect for whatever size your family is. Even if it's just you and your four-legged friend. If you're into sporty, you'll be pleasantly surprised by how spacious the trailblazer is for a compact SUV. If rugged, refined, and roomy is more your thang, check out the Suburban. Two ends of the Chevy SUV spectrum, both with flexible storage. And on top of space for everyone, they've also got something to fit into every budget. Plus, every Chevy SUV comes with advanced safety technologies to help protect your precious cargo. To add head-turning glamour to your everyday, find the Chevy SUV that fits your needs at chevy.com. We Are Supported By is supported by BetterHelp. And you can be supported by BetterHelp, too. Yes, you can. If you're feeling depressed
0: or struggling with uncertainty or having difficulty sleeping, I have that, or meeting your goals, BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help.
1: BetterHelp can help. They will assess your needs and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And what I love most about therapy is that it gives you a toolbox. I like to think that every human being is born with this itty bitty tiny toolbox. And then as you live your life, I think it's your job to put more tools in your toolbox. And as you do that, you got to get a bigger one. And I feel like I'm carrying a big piece of luggage full of tools. But sometimes it's hard to get there and sometimes it's expensive. But BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional Offline counseling and financial aid is available and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's awesome. And it's not a crisis line. I think some people maybe think that and it's not self-helpy. It's professional
0: counseling done securely online. Our podcast is supported by BetterHelp, and our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com supported. Visit betterhelp.com supported and join over the 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional.
1: We Are Supported By is supported by HelloFresh. We love HelloFresh. Well, we love eating. The most. And food. And we like it when that food is easy to prepare. I love restaurants, but when you make it at home with fresh ingredients, it is different. When you're trying to think of meals to cook for yourself or for your family, it involves math, which we know I don't care for. But HelloFresh cuts out all of the stressful meal planning and the grocery store trips with less prep, less effort, and a minimal cleanup. So you can actually enjoy the cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutos. So easy. So good.
0: We made something yesterday. Today for yes, our pie. We did. What did we make? It was
1: magnifico mott smelt, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good. It was divine. It had like balsamic and onion and yes. bell pepper relish and an herb aioli. It was so good. Everyone was clamoring for more. And there are fifty menu items and market items to choose each week, from vegetarian to craft burgers, extra special gourmet options available. So anything you want. So go to
0: hellofresh.com/supported14 and use code supported14 for up to fourteen free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com/supported14 and use code supported14 for up to fourteen free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit.
1: You, in your very well-known Barnard speech, you talked a lot about something that is incredibly important, which is pay gap, that women are earning 80 cents for every dollar. What well, One of the things you specified in it that I don't think people know is you were getting this fancy award with Peyton Manning and Kobe Bryant and you,
2: and you were talking about walking off stage. Can you explain what you said there? Yeah, so ESPN called and they have a, an award show every year called the ESPYs. It's like Oscars or Emmys for sports. And they decided they were going to give me and two other athletes what's called the Icon SP Award. And so Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace, and Peyton Manning and myself were getting this award. It was in 2016. So, you know, I had lines and I'm not good at memorizing. I would love for you to teach me how to memorize <laughs> lines better.
0: She's just a savant at it. It's so weird. When she helps <laughs> me with my audition, she'll read it once and then
1: she can do everyone's lines. It's oh. insane. It's a muscle. It's just like a bicep. You just got to use it every
2: day. Oh, my gosh. That's okay, trick. well, that's good to know that I might be able to get better at it. Um, but anyways, we're on stage. I have some lines. I'm nervous as hell about saying the line. I have anxiety about memorizing. I have, like, a deep fear that I'm stupid. So I nail the lines, and the three of us turned to walk off stage, and something entirely different happened. I was, like, so grateful to be there. I was so, like, this is Kobe and Peyton, like some of the most legendary athletes that have ever played sports. Yeah. And here I am, Right. And then when the three of us walked off stage, something else happened. I started to develop a kind of anger that I had never let myself feel before, for some reason. And I was supposed to go out and party with the friends that I had there, some of my former teammates and some of the other celebrity athletes. But I told the driver, I was like, just take me back to the hotel. I just want to go lay down. And I realized that night that I had spent my whole career like I did on that stage just feeling grateful. Mm. And I think many women could understand that. You know, I thought on some level, because I was only comparing myself to other women, I thought I had it good. Comparing myself to other women in other industries, comparing myself to even other teammates, like I was one of the highest paid players on my team. I have nothing to complain about, right? But this experience of walking off stage next to these two men who had both collectively earned over hundreds of millions of dollars in their career. And by the way, nobody's trying to take their money. They earned their money. Yeah. And I was like trying to figure out what kind of job I was going to get so that I could pay my mortgage at the end of that month. Like that's true. And you had all worked the same amount, like physically same. mentally you're, you
1: getting you're, you're getting the same award you're getting the same award you had dedicated yourself to the, your specific type of sport, yet they walk off basically yeah. holding luggage full of cash yeah. Figure, their life is set they're set,
2: yeah, yeah. all they need to worry about is where they're going to invest their money, and my worry is like mortgage bills, and so I understood deeply that this was not just a a problem that. I was insulated from, like I was a part of the problem too. So I promised myself two things that night. Number one, the Alex Morgan's, the Crystal Dunn's and the Megan Rapinos of the world, the next national team players would not share this experience with me. And that more importantly, number two, I understood that if this was happening to me, this is happening to every woman on the planet in every industry, like no matter what, and that it wasn't okay. And I think that we have to switch our mindsets because the world teaches us to compare ourselves to each other. It is the reason why only two seats at every boardroom table are dedicated to women. Yeah. It's because the world has taught us women to fight against each other, not to look at this table of 10 seats and go, why don't we have five of these chairs? Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I'm going to take it another step because I have evolved this thought. I'm tired of needing to require these chairs at these tables. We women, Kristen and you, Monica, we need to start owning the fucking tables. We need to stop renting the chairs. We need to own shit. Yeah. Right. That is where the real power is. That night was so profound for me because, you know, I was retiring and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And like life threw a brick in my face. And so I've just been dedicating the rest of my time to making sure that all women everywhere have a voice, that all women in every industry understand that they need to compare themselves to their male counterparts, to the people who not just are around that table, but the people in their communities, the people in their jobs, the people in their homes. Mm -hmm. Women have been dropping out of work for the last 18 months to 24 months. People are like, why do you think women... Are stop working during the pandemic because they don't earn as much as their husbands. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. easy. Mm-hmm. Glennon taught me this beautiful thing early on in our relationship. She was like, look, I can't be a single parent. And when you come in and you ask me, what can I do? It means that you are not a 50% share in this marriage. Mm. It means I am carrying the entire mental load for our family. We call it the ticker. She said, I am constantly tickering for our whole family. And you aren't. I am carrying all of the mental load for our family. I got it. I was like, you're totally right. I'm an assistant. I'm walking into the room saying, what can I do? She's like, I want you to walk into the room and be like, hey, I'm doing this thing, X, Y, and Z. I know that that thing is taken care of. We both have to be tickering at the same time. So now I just have tickering sessions. I'll be like, hey, do you want to ticker with me? And we just talk through the day. What are we going to do today? Who's going to do what? And it was an invitation for me to step into a role. And by the way, I'm a woman. They classify me as a nurturer. I should have stepped into this role like like the history books have taught us. But no, though there are gendered roles in relationships and marriages, somebody's got to do it when you're in a homogenous relationship, in in a homosexual relationship, you know, so... I don't know. I I got off tangent there. I love that tangent,
1: though, so much. Like, my hands were in the air, half (laughs) of your tangent, because I was just, like, trying to take in every word. Dax and I went through a similar thing. Like, when we had kids, you know, we had read this book, Brain Rules for Baby, and it talked about sharing the workload. And he is in commitment, everything I want him to be. In practice, sometimes society influences him, but he's very open to hearing a critique about that. So like when we had kids and like, you know, the one-year-old is screaming and the three-year-old is up and it's midnight or something, there would be times where he made such a comfortable space that when his nurturing or his tickering didn't kick in automatically, I would turn over and I'd go, you're up. This is the practice of, this is on you. I did a bunch of stuff earlier, and I don't want this mental load right now. I'm not going to pick up this mental load. And it was like a polite reminder that we had really agreed to do it 50-50. And it was just through a little bit of practice and sort of untraining that he became an incredible, incredible father.
2: Mm. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for the relationship between both parents, Mm. to have this mentality, to have this practice in place, especially me coming in late to the party. I came in, I was like insta-parent. And had I not taken on this tickering as a true value of our family's ethics and how we roll as a group in a unit, I wouldn't be as close to our children. Because Mm. guess who sees the tickering? Guess who sees the impact Mm -hmm. of the time and the thought that goes into running a whole family, mm-hmm. the children. Yes. Right. So like the kids, they know that I'm like the money person in our family. So when they need something, which I love. A budget. Yeah. When they they come budget. to me. They're like, hey, can I have this? Hey, can I have that? They don't bother Glendon with that. And they don't come to me when they need to like have their essays edited in, for school. Mm-hmm. Like they go to Glenn. There can still be lanes. Yes
1: no matter what your gender is or what kind of relationship you're in, there is nothing sexier you can do for your partner than to pick up some slack. I mean, oh it my is gosh, the sexiest thing ever. And my, you yes. know, one of my old roommates, Katie, had taken this class one time and it was like understanding men celebrating women or something crazy like that. It was like a relationships class. And one of the things she came home, she was like, do you know if you can drop the word protect into a conversation with a man, he will be nicer to you for five days? And I was like, wait, what? And so… Full disclosure started using it fully. We were walking the kids to preschool and we'd be holding our hands across the street. And I go, See how daddy's standing in between us and the car. He's such a good protector. And I would <sighs> see his eyes light up. And it was like a wind up toy because there are moments <laughs> where, and I'm not going to simplify this to men, every human on this earth can be very simple. Even the smartest yeah. ones, they can be simple as hell. That's
2: right. Absolutely. We actually just recorded a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And Glennon's sister said something like that. She's just like, I am more inclined to have sex with you if you have taken something off of my to-do list without me having to tell you anything. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I think sometimes this can sound manipulative or it can sound superficial. And it's not because what it's at the root of is saying, I see you. Mm -hmm. I see you. I know your needs and I'm going to fill in the gaps. It's not a gross thing to be like, this is a protector because you're saying, I see that he is protecting mm-hmm. and I'm calling
1: it out and making it known. And it's knowing okay. that, And if I say it out loud, why wouldn't I do as his wife everything in my power to make him be in a good, happy mood? Feel good. Feel good. Like, yeah. okay, I'll say it right. in every other sentence. And he should do the same,
0: right. by yeah. the way. It just has to be
2: equal. Well, and newsflash, like in any marriage that's over five years old, some of this stuff is required Mm -hmm. right it's like the 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 cost of entry of a day in order to create because we are firm believers in creating the life that you want and being capable of creating and being in power of having the life that you want and so some of these things though they might seem superficial like I mean Kristen when you said that I was like wow if Glennon ever said to me that I protect her I have more masculinity in me in that way. Like, my brain lit up. I was like, oh, that's a drug. Yep. Yeah. You just got to (laughs) drop that that word
1: in. I guess the seminar was great. (laughs) What was it called? I think it was called, like, Celebrating Women, Understanding Men or something. I don't know. That should have been
0: the name of this podcast. (laughs) Um, I I do want to go back, though, real quick to something you said about the pay gap. Because I do think this is all so, so important, and I don't want to skip over it, that – Part of the reason it's so hard is because currently at this stage, men are the ones that are hiring the women.
2: That's right. So Mm
0: -hmm. there is this inherent power dynamic and there is this inherent feeling of you have to be grateful. This person gave you a job. This person gave Mm -hmm. you a job. You should be grateful for that. You shouldn't be the one to try to usurp it or take a seat at the table next to them because they gave you the job. How dare you? So Mm -hmm. I do think there's right now this stumbling block, and it's what you said. That's why we need more women in charge of bringing other women up. So this isn't an issue anymore.
2: Yeah, and listen— I have a really interesting way, I think, that breaks this down very simply. So big business doesn't give a shit. They don't care about feelings, right? They care about money. They care about shareholders. They care about the bottom line. It's about money. But here is what I think is starting to turn. Most Gen Zers, millennials, they want to be a part of brands that have impact. That's not just about the product they're selling, that the brand that they're attaching themselves to and they're spending their money on makes them also feel something, right? And one of the things that big business is starting to wrap its mind around is hiring more women to get to some sort of 50-50. It is happening. Most businesses are hiring same amount of men as women from the ground up. Mm -hmm. But when you start to get into the C-suite level positions, that's when you see the huge discrepancies. Now. Something has to give, because a lot of these big companies are saying, well, there just aren't that many good women. And I'm just saying, I'm here, I'm telling you that that's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's because the system that's in place doesn't allow women the space or the network to be seen. How many business deals are happening in cigar bars, in golf courses, Mm -hmm. whatever, and women aren't given privilege in those certain spaces? And then when you think about it from like a macro perspective, all these big businesses have to understand that every single idea that gets created by that business, if this little idea hasn't been filtered through the mind of every person that is going to consume the idea, then that specific idea is now going to be false on some level in some way it's not going to ring true to every single person who's going to consume it. So, from like a brand and consumer perspective, you're missing people who are going to buy up that product.
1: Well, that's it's a bad business move, it's like yes. as evidenced by the Ambien studies. They only tested among guys because I yes. don't know it was like something about our periods or something. We didn't want to be involved in the study. Too messy. <laughs> so they were blood they everywhere. Blood everywhere. So they just tested it on men. And then guess what? Find out a couple years later that it was like, oh, shit, this type of drug affects women because of hormone levels way, way different. And that needed to be in the equation. I mean, I will say this, just to play devil's advocate for one second, like, I know there are qualified women out there, but I think what we're missing is the middle zone, the zone that takes women from an undergrad degree to the mentorship and the graduate degree needed, or, I, look, I don't know anything about college, I didn't even graduate, but I'm thinking that these are <laughs> smart words to use, to get them to that CEO position, because if that middle isn't strengthened, there is going to be a time when the data supports them of like, yeah, but I tried to find all these qualified women. That and
2: they didn't have the degree I needed. Well, okay. No, so- that's bullshit. That's bullshit though, Kristen. And I'm going to push back a little. Because Tell me. What, what you're saying is that they have never given a man a job without that's being qualified. Point. That's- point, good point. Yeah. They keep giving men jobs. They keep giving men promotions, mm-hmm. especially white men, jobs, promotions, CEO seats before they're qualified. And so that yeah. this is one thing that Glennon always tells me to do. She just always says, switch it. When I have an idea or I'm I'm feeling like a certain way, she'll go switch it. And so I put it in the male's perspective. And men have been given opportunities before they were ready since the beginning of time. So why not actually implement those same practices mm-hmm. with women? You just took
1: this to me work I need to do. I'm a, an ambassador for the Women's Peace and Humanitarian Fund leg of the UN. And all of the data is that if you have women in your business, it does better financially. Yes financially. So the bottom line improves.
2: Believe me, I wrote a book called Wolfpack about this whole concept of creating networks for women that support other women. Listen, you're right in that so many of us are like, well, we need to make sure that the women are qualified because let's say that they get there and they're not going to be good enough. That's our own fear. Mm. That's our own internalized misogyny coming out Mm. in certain ways. And I have been totally. The worst at this. I mean, I had mostly male coaches my whole life. And then the second a woman coach came in, I was like, no, she's going to suck because she just hasn't had the training. Uh, She hasn't had the same experience. And that is what the world keeps teaching us. She was the best coach I ever had. And I had to buy into her at some point. But at first I was not sold. I was like, this is going to go very badly. And nobody's going to listen to her like they would a man. She doesn't know as much as a man knows. Right. And so it's like we can't talk out both sides of our mouths. We can't be like, well, the women are required. What we do need to do is support women, supporting women and find those networks and create those packs of women, because it's the only reason I was able to succeed on the field. It wasn't because I was damn good at soccer. It's because I was damn good and had damn good teammates, Mm -hmm. you know? And if we could do that all over in every industry and every woman creates her own kind of wolf pack to make her better, stronger, faster in whatever industry we're talking about, the world would absolutely be better and the world would have more women leaders for sure.
0: We are supported by, is supported by Squarespace we love Squarespace. You can turn your cool new idea into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds. ArmchairExpert.com is a Squarespace website and it's incredible. What's nice about Squarespace specifically is you can sell anything online. Like they have a really good, powerful e-commerce functionality. So if you are starting a business, it's the perfect place for you.
1: Do you think that the three sweaters I knit during the pandemic, I should sell them on Squarespace. Oh my God, you're going to make $700 million on those sweaters. I could upload them on Squarespace. I could make an awesome, beautiful website created by world-class designers. Free and secure hosting. Also, the cool thing about Squarespace, there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever.
0: Head to squarespace.com supported for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code supported to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.
1: We are supported by Jenny Jenny Kane. Kane. We really love Jenny Kane. Well, yes, she is the epitome of California cool. And we want to be California cool. We're trying. We're very much trying. She is a trusted source for everyday elevated essentials. It's the essentials that stay in your closet. Yes. And she has a store that I was in the other day. It is breathtaking.
0: It makes in you there. feel calm,
1: doesn't it? Yes, and yeah.
0: everything is like a perfect silhouette. It doesn't look too fussy, but it fits you perfectly. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's so good and super duper duper soft. Yes. They're incredible. They're like cashmere cardigan I wear all the time.
0: They also have this crossover sandal that I've been wearing a ton. It's cotton and it's so
1: comfortable. The summer dress, also the sundress for the season. Mm. It's like breezy, perfect. It can go from day to night, which is what you want, in a ton of different shades that celebrate summer and you can collect in every color
0: amazing find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com and get 15% off your first order when you use code supported at checkout that's j e n n i k a y n e.com promo code supported
1: You talk a lot about soccer being this great global unifier. If I can, like, umbrella the sports world for a second. It is dominated by personal achievement. I want to make the most baskets or... Nets. Do you make nets? Is that what you say? What do you say? Balls. You get a goal. Goals. 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 This is coming back around to, yeah, I don't say everything correctly. One time I told D- Dax that I drove a helicopter and he laughed for like three days. And I was like, first of all, there was a steering wheel. So That's get off my back. Okay. So it's all about personal achievement. Yet you have somehow infused into everything you do community and about uplifting the people around you and the women around you. But you're coming from, something that seems like it would have trained you to focus more on yourself.
2: This is interesting because nobody actually really asks the nitty gritty of this question. And I think the nitty gritty of this question is truly the crux of why our women's national team is so successful and interesting to watch. I've just been so obsessed with how obsessed Glennon is with our women's national team. And we actually just kind of got down to it a couple weeks ago. And she's like, you know what it is? I think it's because they aren't using their bodies as a form of currency. They are using their bodies as power, right? And because of that power, they earn money. Our women's national team has this unique culture that we are both equally embraced and celebrated for our individuality and our ability to collectively connect as a team, as one unit. And if you don't bring both of those dynamics, you don't survive every single person bringing their very best because I was specifically really good at heading the ball. I scored a lot of goals with my head and that is what I brought. But what was so cool about our national team is we also talked about our weaknesses because when you're trying to build something, you can't have strength, 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 strength. strength. Like you have to actually have somebody that has a different dynamic so that you can actually fit together and as a coach, when you're deciding who you're going to have on the team, those come into play, right? So this idea of being your very best individual self, believing that you're the best in the world, that mentality and culture was embraced, celebrated. And also believing that somebody else was the best dribbler in the Mm -hmm. world. I didn't need that tagline. I got to put in my back pocket. I'm a goal scorer. I'm very good in the air. I'm strong. I wasn't going around being like, you know what? I'm slow. I never talked about my weaknesses because I had teammates around ah. me that made up for that. That is what's so inspiring is because you see women not needing to have to be everything. Mm-hmm. And then when you combine all of those individual accomplishments and strengths, you find a, a, literally an unbeatable team. There's so much that we can learn from just watching our women's national team play And celebrate themselves individually as women. It's counter to everything that we've ever been taught.
0: We are told as women, in order to rise to the top, Mm -hmm. you have to be everything. What you're saying is, you don't. You can be great at what you're great at,
1: and Mm -hmm. somebody else will be great at what they're great at. And it's not a competition. You can come together. It really just like, to me, simplifies it in my brain like, what a dumb, dumb idea to think that you should be the best at everything or that you are the best at everything. When you're marginalized,
0: though— you do feel like you have to because it's like an an analogy to race where people will be like, well, what do you mean black people don't have jobs? Look at Obama. Look at Denzel. It's like, okay, (laughs) you're comparing the two extremes, you know, and you're not comparing every white male to their extreme. You're comparing them to their average. And it's the same with women. It's like, it's, you know, going back to Chris and what you're saying about not having female CEOs in place until they're ready and us feeling like we have to be the very best in order to get there. Actually, no, because we don't need to compare ourselves to RBG. Right. Like, we're not
2: all going to be RBG. It doesn't mean we're not qualified for those top positions. so true. So our women's national team players, we genuinely were happy for each other when somebody succeeded. When Alex Morgan scored goals, I was like this, Alex, great goal. And guess what? This is my opportunity to turn up my own volume. And I think women are afraid to turn up or be required to turn up their own volume to be able to achieve whatever kind of success that other woman just had. It's this paralyzing place. Well, she just did it. I don't know if I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to be strong enough and confident enough in our own abilities that when someone else succeeds, That doesn't diminish the thing that you will succeed at. We need to have more women that keep wanting to turn up their own volume and not fall into the the idea that their success then won't mean as much.
1: I am going to genderize that. And I'm going to go out on a limb here again, because I do feel like what you're explaining right now, when like, let's say Monica did something and I was like, well, she did it. That is, I think, a little bit more uniquely female because there are so few spaces for us, because- Of course. I know a hundred men off the top of my head who if they saw something fabulous happen with another guy, they'd be like, I could do that. And it's like in in (laughs) them to be like, I I could do that and I will. You know, like the confidence is there, but there are so few spots for women, for minorities, for, for anyone with a different sexual orientation, that it feels like there is a limited and finite amount of spots. So when someone else does it, you can't. And That's there is right. some,
0: re- and unfortunately, there is some reality. Right, and it comes it. out of our reality, exactly. Yep. But we're yep. here to we make tra-
1: try to let everybody know there's not going to be a finite amount because Glennon is going to push those <laughs> forms back every <laughs> right. time and teach us right. how to do this. But there are tinier things, if you don't have a huge female community, that you can do that I love, like, vote with your dollars. Every Mm -hmm. dollar you spend is a vote. There are tons of websites and ways that you can find out. Support a a female-owned business. Support Mm -hmm. a minority-owned business. Those things Mm -hmm. are labeled now, which I think is Mm -hmm. great. Buy from them. That is putting money in the pocket of a female or minority-owned entrepreneur's business and uplifting them. That's so they
0: can
2: uplift somebody else. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I just think that I want to do whatever I possibly can to make the world better than when I found it. That's my my job. And also to make Glennon a little bit more comfortable in her life <laughs> so that she can so she can keep making the art that she makes that I think saves people truly. I mean it saved me and it keeps saving me.
1: And I think it's important to acknowledge that like if someone were to hear you say that, there's an easy sort of cheap conclusion to come to of like, but that's so much work. But I just want to stay loud and clear for people listening to this, trying to make things better than when you found it, whether it's emotionally or in your community, it comes with an amazing burst of self-esteem. So it's not just more work. Like oh I, why would I try to make things better? Because you're going to gain a ton out of that. You're going to feel fucking awesome about yourself. Yeah, yeah. your head's gonna, your head's going to hit right. the pillow and you're going to be out. You're going to sleep so soundly.
2: Well, one thing that Glennon talks about a lot that I think that a lot of women need to hear is one of the most valued ways of being as a woman is to be selfless. It blows my mind to literally be without a self. Is what the world expects of women, of mothers. That's my back tattoo for this one. And Glennon talks, we talk about this all the time. She's like, so here I am trying to create a self for the first time in her 40s. I am not a mother. I am not a sister. I am not a daughter. I am a self. I think it's so important that women hear that. Selflessness is not something to aspire to. It's something to run as far fucking away from as possible. Yeah. I and to that. be full of yourself, right? Because think about the messages you're teaching your daughter to not require space, to not say the thing. You're teaching your daughter, just be okay with whatever you've got, you know? And like we're raising daughters that, by the way, for teenagers, like they're hellish. They're hell, they're like, no, I don't want to do that. And we're like, That's right. That's what we're teaching you to be. And it's making our (laughs) lives miserable. But that's the kind of women we want them to grow into, you know, and it's harder at the beginning. But what it's teaching them is how to be in their own selves, in their own bodies and to ask themselves, what do I want? These are all things that are so important that just get shamed out of us when we're kids. Thankfully, I had sports to require food into my body. But so many of us, my wife, food is just a huge thing for women, like to be small, to, mm-hmm. to, to oh, no, I don't want that. Oh, no, I don't want that. But can I actually steal all of your fries that you just <laughs> ordered? <laughs> like, they're my fries.
0: <laughs> you should have ordered your fries because you wanted yes. fries.
2: That's right. That's right. That's a marital problem <laughs> in, in our world. Order your own damn fries.
0: You blew past this. You said it in passing. It was just like woven into something you said, but I really want to revisit it. You said you have a deep fear of being stupid.
2: Ooh, you heard that. I yes. I, of course, I do. heard that. I do too. Yeah. Shame root belief system right there. Because I was a sports athlete my whole life from a very young age, nobody told me to do this. I just put all of my worth in that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really study hard, I hated school. In fact, I sucked really bad at it. I never graduated college. I went to three and a half years. And as soon as I had a chance to go make that $25,000 first salary playing pro soccer, I did. I left. I went pro. <laughs> you made the
0: big bucks.
2: That was twenty five dollars It was big time. And so, yeah, I, for my whole life, have believed that I am not smart and that I don't have intellectual capacity what I do know is I have real emotional intelligence and I'm very good at the sports and I'm learning to be smarter with the books and the intellectual ability. So, yeah, my wife would probably break down this door right now and be like, you're the, one of the smartest people I've ever met. But the traditional book school smarts just never jived with me. So, I just have this belief system that I am not smart.
0: But this is part of the whole issue, right? Because we have defined smart. As being good at math, being good, getting a 1500, whatever it is now on your SAT, like very male
1: driven, Uh you know, ideals of what smart is. And prioritizing emotional intelligence, I would say, because I have had a very similar trajectory to you minus
2: being good at any sports. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you are very good at the acting and that shows and the singing. Okay, yes. so yeah,
1: that. The jazz hands entertaining, sure. And my husband is very book smart and he's very academic and he will tell you the moment he meets you, those qualities about himself. Um, <laughs> he but needs you to know. <laughs> he needs you to know. But it, but that's also like cool. I'm kind of sure. like, I, look, I don't need to make him be humble. I want to be as confident as he is. You know, yeah. I don't want to be smaller or selfless. I want to have a full self. But I am, you know, picking up the books that he's reading and getting more into it. But what I have discovered is similarly to how you described the team is like, oh, I have him. Should I need a math question answered? But my emotional intelligence is off the charts compared to his. And I have taken ownership of that. And I think that that's, you know, that's one of the things I love about you so much, because even in just like in watching everything you do, but especially your Barnard speech, the ownership you take of your qualities is so inspiring. And I have only over the last couple of years learned to own my emotional intelligence and go, yeah, well, that's what I have. And other people Mm -hmm. around me have something else. And that's why we're a team.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like, listen, In third grade, we were taught about Egyptian tombs in Egypt, right? No teacher was teaching us about sadness. Mm -hmm. Or making an amends to someone and how to do it. Right. And so for me, the reason why sometimes school didn't hit me right is because none of that interested me because I knew that over the whole of my life, the things that were going to be more interesting was the world that was happening inside of me. And the emotions that I was feeling and like the touches and the connections that I was making with my friends. I mean, when I talk about school, I would actually just be like, hey, like, what did you think about that class? What did you think about what that teacher said? I wanted to know what they thought about the topic, not about the topic. That was more interesting to me. So I don't know. I just think that we have to rethink, you know, when we send our kids to school, because For me, I would have benefited way sooner. I wouldn't have become an addict if somebody had been helping me work through what sadness Mm -hmm. and anxiety and fear were as a young kid. I would have worked through that. I would have learned. I would have had the words. I would have been able to, like, maybe fix some of the problems. I'm hoping we'll get there. Our kids go to a charter school, and two days a week they
1: have social-emotional learning, and they talk about Mm -hmm. problems that they have with their siblings. And they just introduced these global citizenship concepts at such a young age. A couple weeks ago, they were in a drawing class, my second grader, and the teacher at one point said, you know, you want to draw a baseball cap if you want this you know, character to be a boy, or you can draw pigtails if you want it to be a girl. And a student raised their hand, because I don't know the student's gender. The student raised their hand and went, is it okay if the, uh, our picture is non-binary? And the teacher oh, went, yes, amazing. absolutely. And it was like not a stop down, not in anything. They all know what non-binary means. And I was like, oh, yeah. Maybe there is hope because these concepts are getting through to them about how to handle social-emotional situations. That's right. And I think what's so beautiful about it is they're learning how to accept
0: themselves, which means they're able to accept others. Like, you can't really accept others until you've accepted yourself.
2: That is right, Monica. I think we're getting there with these little peeps. I like to think sometimes 100 years down the road, what are the things we are going to be most embarrassed about? Mm Mm-hmm. So many things. And so many other cultures, folks like me, who in some ways have been marginalized and oppressed. I didn't make as much money as a soccer player as I could have had I been straight and long haired. Truly. Yeah. Like that's a reality for me. But. You know, I feel like in other cultures, people like me are, like, revered and set aside and, like, celebrated, Mm. you know? I just hope for that next Abby, the next person that comes through, that they are revered and celebrated for their perfect selves. Because, I mean, all of the labels and stuff are kind of just bullshit. And I think over time, they're going to go away.
1: I think we have to go through that turbulence, because you were forced to go through it on your own, come to terms with all these things, who you were in the world, in soccer, as a woman, as a gay person, the younger generation who is demanding specificity, that is exactly Glennon pushing those forms back, going, no, no, yeah. these should both say person, yeah, because there's just person. Yeah. But it's because
0: of people like you who are making the younger generation's demand.
2: So we are thankful. Very. well. Wow. I think all the thanks should go to Glennon for helping me push my own self because that's what our partners can be great for, too, is just mirrors like, hey, here's maybe something that you're blinded to or something that you're not getting truly honest with yourself about. That's what I think having an amazing partner is good for, is like somebody who will hold standards. And, you know, Glennon and I wrote Marriage Vows And we come back to those vows every single January of every year. And we interpret them in different ways every year because life changes. Mm -hmm. And so we rewrite them. And it is a practice of ours. And, you know, Kristen, I know that you and Dax, I know Dax takes a moral inventory of his life. And that's something that we do every single night in bed. Like, how was your day? How does your heart feel? Are there any secrets that you are taking with you into this night? You know, like all of these things matter. Like who we spend our time with. How much time are you spending with the people that make you feel good about yourself? The people that don't make you feel good about yourself. You have the power to change that. You have the power to create your environment. You have the power to think differently. You have the power to care about somebody's pronouns. Mm. And you also, by the way, have the power not to. And so my hope is to motivate people to feel like they can be a part of the positive progression of humanity instead of the opposite.
0: We appreciate you so much and your time. and So much. I have to end on saying like, we can't leave without you knowing you're smart. You're so smart. smart, You gave (laughs) us so much of your brain today, and we've used a lot of big words. And that's oh not what it gosh. means. That's not what smart. Let's redefine it. Okay, it doesn't okay, mean okay, okay. big words.
1: I thought we were complimenting her academically because that's what she was working on. All of it. I'll okay. take
2: all of it. Yeah. I'll <laughs> take all of it. I'm going to take that, Kristen. I'm going to take this, Monica. Thank you very you're wonderful. much. wonderful. We couldn't
1: appreciate more that you made time for us because we know you're so busy. And also, if anybody wants to see more of Abby, Abby has an amazing show called Abby's Places on ESPN Plus, And
2: it's uh, awesome. Well, I love what all that you guys do in the world. Keep kicking ass. And I am here we need to see each other 100%. and meet in real life 100%. meet in person someday soon yes
1: please
2: love you guys bye, bye.